0: Welcome to Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture, with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, I'll be speaking about the genocide in Darfur. Hi friends, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. I hope everybody has had a great week between episodes. Um, Here in Berlin we experienced some real abnormal weather and it was it got to around 18 degrees last week and I'm not kidding it felt like summer or the beginnings of summer which was really strange but much appreciated so I guess thank you global warming. We're back down to I'd say a bit more of normal temperature now but it was nice to have a bit of a break considering that Winters can be quite hard, can't they? Especially if you've been on lockdown since November. So um, yeah, this week I'm speaking about the Darfur genocide and I'm quite excited about this one. I, I know it's a bit weird to say that you're excited about speaking about genocide but this is, so for my MA thesis I did research on this genocide particularly in how survivors had how survivors were seeking asylum within Israel and what their experiences are post genocide because i don't believe that when you know let's say the main perpetration or the main killing has end has ended i don't think that means that the victims or the survivors of these genocides necessarily just stop suffering so i just investigated a bit into what it was like to be someone who was seeking asylum in a different state to their own and what that looked like and what that meant for them so yeah this was um I birthed my thesis out of this genocide and the experiences of people um yeah post atrocity so it is one that's close to my heart so I'm just going to crack on with the episode because I'm rambling on but I might I'm just saying this because I might drop a few personal opinions in about um, yeah, the particular repercussions of this genocide. So yeah, without further ado, I'm just going to crack on. So here we go with um, the Darfur genocide. So classed as the first genocide of the 21st century, so we've come a long way since the since me speaking about the Herero and Nama genocide at the beginning of the 20th century. However, I do want to say, I just think I need to earmark this, that there are plenty more genocides that I haven't had a chance to cover in this series in between the ones that I have, um, I have been speaking about as I'm just giving you the audience some examples of genocides that have occurred kind of over the last century so by no means is what I've covered so far in this series a definitive list of genocides that have happened but we have now after focusing on the atrocities of the 90s ended up in the early 2000s and Darfur is classified as the first genocide of this new century that we are now in so Darfur is located, located in the western region of one of the largest countries in Africa, Sudan. Sudan is located in north East Africa and is roughly the size of Spain. And the country has a population of around 9 million people and it's multi-ethnic. So at the time that this genocide took place, it had a dictatorial, dictatorial government and was ba- that was based in Khartoum in the north of the country. And this was dominated by an Arab and Islamist elite. So for a bit of background about this genocide, Sudan gained independence from Britain in 1956. And since that point, since gaining independence, civil wars have plagued the country. When I was conducting my research for my thesis, one of the men that I interviewed who had fled Sudan for safety said to me at the end of the interview, even though I was speaking to him about genocide and being an asylum asylum seeker and a refugee, and clearly, um, clearly, you know, wanting the best for him, he said that the situation that him and his friends found themselves in was my fault, basically, meaning that because I was British, it was actually the. British who started all this trouble in the first place with colonization and as a result they were now having to seek asylum because their country from that point had just been so unstable so I mean his friend that was with him that I also interviewed was like well it's not her fault directly but he was just like well not happy with Britain basically Um, and I think that's really important to remember also that conflict doesn't just arise out of nowhere and the instability that colonization and imperialism and everything causes in certain regions um can actually be a starting point that leads to eventually perhaps a genocide happening within these places so yeah whilst I agree that it wasn't my fault in particular there definitely is a place to speak about colonialism and the after effects of this and what that means for different nation nation states who are trying to then govern themselves after these kinds of things have, have happened so anyway um the civil wars in Sudan stemmed from the north so the north of the com- country is predominantly Arab, and they were dominating the economic, political, and social institutions of South Sudan, which was predominantly non-Arab. And there was competition for resources, and disputes arose due to nomads competing for land to graze for land to graze their herds and the tensions between the north and the south rose further during the 80s when oil was discovered in western Sudan and naturally the Sudanese government became particularly interested in it and it also garnered international interest shock horror Um, so there was a lot of attention placed on land in Darfur which fell in that region so civil war and famine raged there into well into the 1990s and the unrest people felt in the Darfur region resulted in two rebel group groups rising up against the government in February of 2003 and these groups were the Justice Equality Movement and the Sudan Liberation Army and they claimed that they had suffered years of inequality and economic marginalization and this rebellion was as I said, because of the region was led by mainly non-Arab tribes. So in response to this, the government of Sudan launched a brutal and systematic attack via Arab militias, namely the Janjaweed and Sudanese forces, on the non-Arab Fur Zagawa and Masalit tribes of Darfur. So the government would not only did not only launch this a- attack against the rebel forces, but they targeted the civilians who were from the same tribes as these rebel forces. So who were, or what was the Janjaweed? Well, they were the Janjaweed. Janjaweed, Oh, why can't I speak? Hang on. The Janjaweed roughly translates to mounted gunmen, or also evil men on horseback. And they were militia groups who rode on horseback to basically launch the the ground campaign that the government had ordered so they would carry out attacks on certain villages and destroy them they they carried out what was known as the scorched earth campaign so the Sudanese air force would bomb villages obviously from the sky then the Janjaweed would come in on horseback and murder the remaining civilians so anyone who survived the the bombings and or force them to flee and they would loot enslave and or rape women and children steal livestock contaminate water supplies by throwing dead bodies into the wells and they would burn whole villages to the grounds to the ground burn their crops and their food stores and they would just completely destroy it all so that people could not if they had managed to flee so that they couldn't return there was nothing to return to um so the aim of all this was to depopulate land through ethnic cleansing and genocide by perpetrating these violent attacks and rape was used as a weapon of social control and also the government and these militia would block international humanita- any hu- international humanitarian aid um, that was being obviously sent by the outside because there was a huge focus of the international community on stopping this genocide that they identified was happening in Darfur. And I think because coming off the, the back of the 90s and the inaction in Rwanda and... Yeah, they would block this international humanitarian aid to ensure that they were destroying these groups, like they didn't have access to the help that they needed. And it's been estimated that between 2003 and 2005, over 400,000 people lost their lives and around 2.8 million people were displaced. Most of those who fled for safety have not returned back to their villages since fleeing due to the fear that they would be attacked. Attacked again. However, just because they they had fled and were in displaced person camps or refugee camps, this did not mean that they were safe. And there there are reports that quite often that the Janjaweed would go to these camps in particular. And if anybody was out in search of like supplies or water or straying too far away from these places, they would rape them. They would murder. Like they would still brutalize these people. Um, So they would still come under attack by the government and these militia forces like outside of their region of Darfur. So just as a quick side note, some of the Darfuris that I met in Israel had originally been seeking asylum in Egypt. And due to coming under attack there, that was the reason that they fled across the border into Israel and were seeking um, asylum and safety there and to this day you have people fleeing conflict and genocide trying to seek safety and asylum in other countries so I think Darfur really is a perfect example of how even if you s- survive or escape a genocide there is still there could still be a hell of a lot that you have to go through decades later in order to really find safety Um And even if you flee into another country, into a neighboring neighboring country, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. So your journey may not end. I actually have um, a friend who I met in Israel. He's now in Canada um, and he'd come through Egypt to Israel and had finally found asylum in Canada. So not even on, not even anywhere near the same continent that he's from which i think i mean it's it's to me it's sad just the way he used to talk about his home and everything and not being able to go back is it's very sad um so this actually is what inspired me to do my research as even though we have things like the refugee refugee convention in place which is basically there to ensure a person's international protection should they find themselves in a position of becoming a refugee people still find themselves without a full protection of the government meaning having rights having access to um, being able to work having access to education all of these kinds of things that even if you are outside of where the conflict is or where the perpetration is doesn't mean that you have a full life that you are able to grow and build and enjoy to the full just like you would if there hadn't have been a conflict in your country so Anyway, this is a whole conversation about statelessness and how dangerous it is for a person um, to be stateless. But I won't go into it now because almost, um, yeah, as I said, almost 20 years after this genocide, there's still people that need help rebuilding their lives. But I just want to, yeah, I just felt that I needed to say that. Um, So... After this initial violence between 2003 and 2005, there was a long, long road towards a peace agreement and many different violent things still continued to occur and be perpetrated against the Darfuri people. Now, the president of Sudan, Omar al-Bashir, was issued a warrant by the ICC, the International Criminal Court, for crimes against humanity and genocide in 2010 as I said this genocide garnered a lot of international attention a lot of initiatives you had holocaust survivors coming out and condemning the violence specifically Elie Wiesel he was very vocal about this genocide he um, there's a famous speech of his actually where he just basically says it's happening happening again and we're failing um that he said in I think I can't remember where he said this speech. I'll try and remember for next week and tell you all. Um, But, yeah, so a warrant was issued for the president of Sudan, but the Sudanese government didn't turn him over. And the (laughs) odour... I'm trying to speak too fast today, I think. I don't know what's wrong. I should probably have done some, like, vocal exercises. I think, yeah... I don't know what's happening today. Sorry, guys. Um, So this led to years of unrest, major protests and increased violence that you may have seen on the news or social media, specifically over the last few years. There's been a lot of um, civilian protests in particular, and that has been instrumental in um, al-Bashir, him being taken out of power. So finally in April of 2019 he was removed by Sudanese armed forces after months of this these civil uprisings and in February of 2020 so only a year ago Sudan's ruling military council agreed to hand over al bashir to the ICC and um in order for him to face his crimes and in October of last year so so recently the chief prosecutor of the ICC made a deal with the Darfuri rebels to set up a special war crimes court for him so watch this space people because it is all still happening and we're yet to see what kind of reconciliation and and everything that That Darfuris get from from this genocide so very very hot hot topic hot relevant topic so that in a nutshell is the Darfuri genocide um my call to action for this week is to follow the African Students Organization and this organization is very close to my heart because it's an NGO in Israel that was founded by some of the asylum seekers that I spoke to for my research and um, one of them a lovely lovely guy named Taj who act, who came to speak um when I was studying in Israel he came to speak at my university about his experiences and his story was just heartbreaking because he'd been offered um he'd come to Israel his whole story about um Sudan and how he'd escaped and he'd come to Egypt and then there was violence there so he'd had to leave and he'd he'd made it to Israel but he didn't have any rights he got accepted to study at um, study at a university in London I think it was King's and he couldn't go because he didn't have the right travel documents to leave Israel but he was also in a position where the government wouldn't issue him with the right documents so that he could leave and his story was just heartbreaking because we're similar ages and there I was with all the opportunity in the world to study whatever I wanted however I wanted to in whatever country I decided to go to and he was just stuck in Israel with next to no rights so he founded this organization um, as I said it's an NGO and it's to ensure that asylum seeking students within israel can study and as a result level up out of their situation that they find themselves in as a direct result of the conflict in sudan and he has since made it as i mentioned earlier he has since since left israel and he's now living in canada and but this work is ongoing in israel so i would please urge you to follow the african students organization aso underscore israel on instagram they also have a website that i will link and then you can see all of the work that they do explaining about the organization and the situation of african asylum seekers in within israel at the moment and i urge you please 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 maybe you really care about education or you just you know you have some money to spare this month or usually you donate to a specific charity but this month maybe just chuck some money their way Mm -hmm. i really do urge you to support them um as i'm sure that any like any donations that they receive really really will go to a good cause like you'll be directly helping people rebuild their lives through education um I will be happy to discuss with anybody who might be interested, because I know I've, I've mentioned quite a bit about it today, but um, the ongoing situation in Israel of um, specific asylum seekers with anyone who has an interest, um, you just need to email me at info at org, and I'll be happy to talk about that, or you can send me a DM on Instagram or or just comment on this post and I'll be happy to talk about it because, as I said, it's a cause that's very close to my heart and having sat and spent time with um, survivors of this particular genocide, um, yeah, it just resonates a lot because, you know, there's there's people that are your age just experiencing a completely different life. So, yeah, that is it i think for this week it's a very short concise episode i think only 20 minutes so far but let's not beat around the bush that's the basis of what happened and if you would like to know more i am more than happy to talk about it with you guys um as ever please rate review and subscribe and if you can please donate and do your bit for the african students organization and with that being said I think that is all for this week so thanks for listening oh my gosh I really can't talk this week I'll do my exercises for next week my apologies thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time ciao